uh, our little ones. They're very uh, uh, impressionable, and uh, sometimes we uh, tend to think that uh, they uh, they don't remember uh, the things that we say in the car. Parents, you know, they remember these things, and they'll quote it back to you one of these days. We praise the Lord for our children's ministries, and uh, again, it's a, a, a very important ministry for our church. Um, uh, and I trust that uh, it's one that will continue uh, rather than just uh, having entertainment uh, and all of that. Uh, we grow, good old Bible stories uh, still uh, is being done here in the church. <clears throat> For uh, some time now, uh, we uh, have slowly uh, gone through our series uh, on the, uh, which I've entitled Facing Our Giants uh, in the evening worship service. <clears throat> uh, we, um, we have considered the giants of disappointment, of suffering, of fear, of loneliness, of anger, of worry, of depression, of bitterness, of backsliding. And tonight, <clears throat> as I said, will be my tenth and last installment in this series. I was thinking about that and I said, should I put another five and get it to a 15 sermon series? I said, we're faced with different challenges, aren't we, beloved? Uh, so many things that uh, creep up into our heads and hearts. Uh, and uh, there are some biblical principles to face those giants, as, uh, as I called it. But I, um, in the end, as after praying, um, I think it's time to close this series. Uh, and uh, I encourage you, if you've missed some of them, um, speak to Jan Mitchell. You can get it through our website. Um, and uh, tonight I'm going to lead you in considering this giant of worldliness. The giant of worldliness. Exodus chapter 8, please. How do we face up to this giant of worldliness? Uh, if you find your spot, Exodus chapter 8, and if you're able, uh, would you please stand up with me? And we'll pick up the account here in verse 25. Exodus chapter 8. <clears throat> this is, of course, uh, over the course of the, the plagues, the different plagues that God has uh, uh, given to Pharaoh and, and the land of Egypt. Uh, Exodus chapter 8, uh, here in verse 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness, and sacrifice to the Lord our God, we shall command, he shall command us. 
And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only ye shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. There remained not one. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Father, thank you once again for this portion of your word. And uh, Lord, uh, as we uh, delve into it and uh, other parts of this narrative, uh, pray, Father, that uh, once again that you'll teach us your way. Help me, O oh God, once again to uh, do justice to your word. And uh, I pray that uh, your will and way will be accomplished in us. We'll make our own personal applications. And so I pray, dear God, that um, you would be pleased with our worship even tonight. And uh, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Tonight I'd like to take some snippets, little portions of uh, uh, the narrative when Pharaoh interacted with Moses and Aaron. Really interacted with God Almighty. Uh, and I'd like to attempt to show you how the devil, Satan, um, executes his schemes, his wiles to, to trick, to, to trap uh, the believers into worldliness. Now in the Bible, of course, not all the time, uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, Pharaoh is a type of the devil. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to use this narrative as, as a type, a topology. And Egypt is normally pictured as a type of the world. And Israel, of course, being the type of believers. Now, you see, in the New Testament, the devil is identified as the prince of this world, and even the God of this world, small g, of course. And uh, amongst other things, the devil is also revealed uh, or presented as a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour or terrorize, is another word there. But in some parts of the scripture, at other times, he is presented or recorded as an angel of light. Second Corinthians, of course, 11.14. That means he presents his help as an angel of light. Of course, he is the deceiver. He is a liar and, and the father of it. You see, the devil either seeks to damage us or deceive us. Okay? That's his mojo. He will either seek to deceive or, or damage us. Uh, and the one way that he deceives us effectively is in this area of compromise. 
uh, this area of worldliness. Um, and uh, instead of us living a godly and holy life, uh, the devil seeks to destroy that. And he tries. Uh, and if we'll be honest with ourselves, uh, there were times that we succumbed to those temptations. And uh, we, uh, our desire, of course, is to live holy and to live godly. And uh, that is a constant desire of God's children. Uh, but there are times that uh, we are overwhelmed. We allow ourselves to be overcome uh, by Satan, by the devil. Now, before we can face up or defeat this giant of worldliness, just like at other times, whether it's fear, whether it's uh, loneliness, depression, backsliding, um, disappointments, uh, anger, and all of that, uh, we first need to understand what we're dealing with here. What exactly is worldliness? You'll be surprised how many well-meaning Christians uh, just don't have a, a, a real comprehension, or at least they cannot articulate what worldliness is. Uh, they know the concept of it, but what exactly it is and how easy it is to fall into this trap um, many believers find it difficult to deal with. Uh, and of course, uh, we get through our Christian lives, we get better at it, and when we first got saved, remember, uh, we, we doubt our salvation. Am I really saved? Why do I keep still sinning? And, and uh, somebody will take alongside us and they'll say, you know, that's normal for the Christian, but you need to get feeding in the Word of God, and you, you need to have the milk, and then you... Uh, from there you go to the fish, as we call it, and then you go to the hard meat of the Bible. And, and because of that, uh, and because of the uh, uh, con constant encouraging of uh, believers uh, and constant meditation on God's Word and uh, being faithful to church, listening to preaching, listening to godly music, uh, all of those contribute to your growth, and then you get better in, uh, in dealing with uh, these difficult times in your life. Let me share with you some of the quotes I found about worldliness. D.L. Moody once said, and I quote, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So, Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. End of quote. This second one, I may not agree with all of his teachings, but this uh, 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 theologian and pastor and, uh, and author, Kevin DeYoung, said, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. How true. Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness looks strange. He's right. Author Henry Jacobson said, The essence of worldliness is exclusion of God. 
the essence of worldliness is exclusion of God. Commentator Matthew Henry said, Nothing exposes religion more to the reproach of its enemies than the worldliness and half-heartedness of the professors of it. Ooh. Baptist evangelist and pastor John R. Rice said, The Christian who drinks cannot win his drinking compassions to Christ. The girl who dances will never win her dancing boyfriend. You may think to gain favor and influence with the unsaved by joining them in the lodge or attending with them the movies or by smoking or drinking or playing bridge with them, but you cannot. Worldliness means powerlessness, and that means that every Christian who sells out is guilty of the murder of the poor lost souls that go to hell because he lost his influence. Ooh, that's tough. And John the Apostle said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So what is worldliness? I believe in simple terms it's living for this world instead of living for the world to come. Worldliness is living for this world instead of living for the world to come. It's anything that keeps you and I from loving the Lord as we ought to love Him. And from doing His will as we ought to do it. Worldliness. In simple terms. Now contrary to many understandings, worldliness is really not much about the action, but more of the attitude. Did you hear that? Worldliness is really not so much about the action, but more of the attitude. Now, why do I say that? You see, many believers do not openly go to bad places. They don't join in uh, with uh, bad people as such. And yet, they're still worldly. How? Because worldliness, beloved, more than anything in us is always in our life as a Christian. Worldliness is a matter of the heart. Beloved, when the Lord saved us, I believe he also called us to leave the ways of this world. Romans 12, is, that's what it says. It also tells us to put off the old man and put on the new. Ephesians 4. After all, the same Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. 
And so for the next few minutes, notice how Pharaoh, a type of the devil here, notice how he tried to trip. Notice how he tried to trap the children of Israel into worldliness, uh, taking them away from what God wanted them to do. Uh, that is to worship him in the wilderness, out of Egypt. Here in our text, in verse 25, notice what Pharaoh proposed to Moses and Aaron. Go, ye sacrifice to your God in the land. You see that? In the land. Okay, Moses, go and worship your God. Do not separate yourself from Egypt. Again, a type of the world. Go ahead, but worship in the land. You don't need to separate from the land. My dear ones, can you see how deceptive the enemy here? It sounds reasonable. It does. Pharaoh said, go and worship. It's okay. Bring the land. Okay? Stay in the, in the land. And in this case, like I said, we're working on types. Stay in the world. But that is not what God told them to do. Go back to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord. So Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord. When you, say, when you see, Thus saith the Lord in the Scriptures, pay attention. The Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me. Where? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. That's what they told Pharaoh. But you see, it's a three days journey. How do we know that? That's in verse 3. Why? To hold a feast. That means to sacrifice and worship him. Now God wanted his people to worship him in complete separation from the world's worship. Important to note. Egypt with all its false religions and rituals. Pharaoh said, just join in with the rest of the religions here in Egypt. We're a religious bunch, you know, Aaron, Moses. We, we practice religion and rituals as well. It's okay. You don't need to be a separatist. Don't really believe in ecclesiastical separation. It's okay. Don't go about separating, but be on including. It's okay to worship in the land. Is it? Mm. Is it any wonder why many so-called churches today implement and practice worldly methodology in their worship services? Mm. The dim lights, the worldly music, The worship teams and bands looking like singers in a concert rather than a worship service. Cherry and I spent uh, lunch with uh, Brother Roger, and uh, he's living in America. Now I made a mistake. I thought he went back to China, and now he's living in America. And uh, by his accounts, uh, 
And he's finding it hard to find a church. He found it hard in China and now in the land of the free. Uh, he thought uh, he would find that church. But he's finding it hard. Because he knows a little bit about standards and doctrines and he's not seeing it. We have a friend, a beloved friend. Uh, in his church, there's two services. You know, at 9 o'clock, you go in. It's like this. You know, it's bright, it's lit, there's pulpit. And it's called the traditional worship service, 9 o'clock. 10.30, this thing disappears. There's a, a curtain. It's black. And the lights go up. There's the drum. And there's the organ here. And there's the same day. Contemporary worship at 11. Traditional worship. You'll wear a suit and tie in the morning goes to the next service, removes all of that, goes in jeans and a bit of jacket. Two kinds of worship. It's real, it's happening, it's true. They uh, purposely designed their worship services and their ministry methods to be acceptable and palatable to the world. And sure, the world goes in the church, but at what cost? You just have to look at the fallout and the false professions of faith in churches, the likes of these. Praise God, Moses had the sense not to obey the words of Pharaoh, but obey the words of God. Verse 26 of our text um, Moses uh, said, uh, it is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Now, it's not appropriate for us to worship with you here in Egypt. It's not appropriate for us to worship with the world's ways. Paul said, well, turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, please. Uh, back in the, in, um, forward to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, here in uh, verse uh, 14. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. I think uh, for most of you, this is a familiar passage. Be not equally yoked uh, together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out 
from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. See, the world says, get with it. God says, get out of it. Calvary Baptist Church, the Lord has done great things for us these 50 years. I keep on saying, let us not drop the ball now. Let us not get the ways of the world get into our worship now. Now let's dig deeper into this verse in Exodus 8, still in verse 26. Now, Paul's, uh, um, Moses said, It is not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Put us to death by stoning is, uh, is the translation there. What does this mean? You see, beloved, in Egypt, bulls and cows were sacred. It's the symbol of one of their gods, Apis, uh, a fertility god, uh, initially which evolved uh, into the god of the dead and the underworld. Creepy stuff. Google it. You see images of it. Okay. And also to the Egyptians, the sacrifice not only of the bulls and cows, but especially the lamb. The lamb is downright offensive. Genesis 46, 34. Egyptians would not go near a shepherd. It's just that they wouldn't get company with these people. And so Pharaoh's suggestion to Moses is not only disobedience, but an abomination and offensive, not just to the Lord, but to the Egyptians themselves. And so that's just pure provocation, which will result in conflict. And you are seeing it now play out in the land of Palestine. Verse 27 we will go three days' journey unto the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. He, He shall command us. My dear ones, let us not even begin to think to mix worldly worship with godly, reverent worship. The worship of the one true God. Now notice Pharaoh's response here and how the devil again employs the same methodology is entrapping believers into worldliness. In verse 28, And Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away. You see that? You can go. It's okay, but don't go very far away. It's okay, Christian. You know, go and worship your Lord, but don't be too fanatical. Uh, don't be too extreme. Uh, you, you don't need to fully commit and surrender to the Lord. Uh, just, just be on the edge. You know, just, just on the fence. Don't go over, but just be on the edge. Don't go far away. It's okay to be worldly every now and then. You have to enjoy life sometime. It really doesn't hurt, you know. 
Go and worship God on Sunday, but don't go too far. No need to talk about Christ all the time. You lose people that way. When the Bible says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth unto the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, well, it doesn't really mean that, you know. You have to tone it down a bit. Just don't take it too far. Don't go far away. My dear ones, can I tell you tonight to not go very far away, to sit on the fence, to be at the edge is a very dangerous place to be. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1.8, our Lord said, no man have, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62, Matthew 7.21-27, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then when I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Um, um, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not twice now, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and fell. And notice, and great was the fall of it. Lukewarm, carnal Christians, the Bible says, will be spewed out of the mouth of God. Revelation chapter 3 verse 16. Christian, do not listen to the pharaohs of this world. Go far away. Be separate from sin. Do not be a borderline believer. It's a very dangerous place to be. And yet how many of our young people likes to be on the edge? Remember and do not forget Lot, beloved. He pitched his tent towards Sodom in Genesis 13, 12. Just a chapter later, in chapter 14, verse 12, we find Lot now dwelling in the land of Sodom. And by the time we get to chapter 19, verse 1, this carnal, worldly believer sat in the gates of Sodom. He's no longer just a citizen of Sodom, but a chief who sat in the gates. He became a ruler, a leader in this wicked city of Sodom, and it started by him pitching towards Sodom. Oh, a very dangerous place to be. Lot, Lot like Demas, they love this present world and not the Lord. Where are you tonight? Those of you who are watching me, where are you tonight? You borderline believer? Dipping your toes into the sea of sin? Be careful. 
Be careful. You may end up drowning and be swallowed by it. Satan wants you to stay near in sin. The Savior wants you far away from sin. Look with me now to Exodus chapter 10, please. Exodus chapter 10. We'll read the narrative here in, uh, from verse uh, uh, 8. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters and with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Pharaoh said, All right, you wanted to go? Go then, go and worship the Lord your God, but who will be going? Moses said, Every one of us will go, young and old. We will even take our sheep, our goats, our cattle, because we are going to have a feast, a sacrifice in honor of our God. We want to hold a celebration in honor of the Lord. Pharaoh replied, your Lord better watch over you on the day that I let you leave with your families. You're up to no good. You want to worship your Lord? All right, but take only the men and go. You know, I thought about this. Who or which father would agree to leave uh, their children behind? What a ridiculous proposal this is from Pharaoh. But you know, I have to be careful here. And please don't shoot the messenger. How many fathers, how many mothers, how many parents actually do this? They go and worship the Lord, but leave their children behind. What do you mean, Pastor? They're happy to be a Christian and all, but when it comes to their children, uh, we'll, we'll leave that decision for them to make that decision. Let them decide. I'm not going to force my own beliefs and convictions. They'll figure it out. Let them make their own decision. I won't be making it for them. I'm not going to force the issue. It's their life, their choice. Let them live the way they want to live it. You know, I've been in this country for over 30 years. One of the first things that we were told and we've learned the hard way, uh, again, um, I'm as Australian as you are now, uh, we were told at a certain age, hands off. Parenting stops. I kind of get it. I understand. It's their life, their choice. Let them live the way that they want it. I know it's, understand, it's really not that simple as, uh, as I'm making it out to be. I understand. Many of you have tried and are still trying, but you're not winning, are you? You're hitting your head against brick wall. You tell them they don't listen. You warn them and they don't want to get to hear it. You know, beloved, I understand and I believe the Lord will not hold you accountable and in contempt for doing what you're doing. 
But somebody must warn them. Somebody must tell them. You just don't do hands off. The child at three years old is running amok. Oh, he's just expressing himself. That boy or girl without discipline will grow wild. And you tell me it's uh, their choice. What happened to the principles of Ephesians 6? Hands off. There are people, sadly, Christians even, who have a hands-off approach when it comes to spiritual matters and spiritual parenting. Let me remind you of two types of parenting, that of Abraham and that of Eli. But before we even go there, understand this principle. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. It was true then in the days of Solomon. It's still true today. And ye fathers and mothers, I believe, uh, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. That's true at the time of Ephesus. And today you go to Ephesus. All that there is is ruins, and it's still true today. You young families, I've got young children, pay attention. Now the Lord said of Abraham, this is the testimony of the Lord of Abraham, Genesis 18:19. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Wow. What a confidence that God has in Abraham. Beloved, whatever you're doing now, as early as babies as they are, keep at it. Don't give up. Let them learn the words of the Lord. But notice how different what God said to Eli in 1 Samuel 3, 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And we know the end of the story for the sons of Eli. And Eli himself. Chapter 10 of Exodus this time, Pharaoh, the type of the devil, uh, will tempt the believer to be worldly uh, by keeping them in the land or at least near the land. If that doesn't work, he will tempt the believer to keep part of themselves or at least their children in the world. And if everything fails as we close, the tempter, the devil, like uh, what we have been learning in the morning worship service, Satan will, will hinder uh, your worship, your offering of sacrifice, your service to the Lord. Exodus chapter 10, here in verse 24, uh, And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. See the progression here? Before I said, oh, keep your, your, your sons here. Now, okay, they can go. But what does he say now? Let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Pharaoh said, okay. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Now, beloved, this is an agricultural economy. Their flocks, their herds were their possessions, their earthly possessions. Uh, and, and, uh, and here is where worldliness, I believe, becomes a very hot issue even more. And sadly, this is where many of us fail the test. 
We live for this world rather than the world to come. We get so hung up and trapped with our worldly goods. We accumulate treasures here on earth rather than treasures in heaven. We understand that this is not our home and we are just passing through. We know that in our head, but somehow it does not translate into our hearts. We sing, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Really? Do we really mean that? Are we really being good stewards of God's resources and provisions? Again, we understand that we do not really own what we have. It's the Lord's. We say that all the time. All of it, but somehow we end up withholding rather than giving it back to the one who owns it all. We understand that all these materials are but going to gather dust and rust. But even so, we still hold it. Inadvertently, perhaps, without even realizing, we become that rich fool who said in his heart, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul when I retire, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But what did God say? Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself. Listen. And is not rich toward God. How rich are you tonight? Are you worldly rich? Or are you godly rich? Do not pile up your riches here for to be enjoyed and enrich the Antichrist when he finally receives or reveals himself. Be a Moses. Moses said, not a hoof will be left behind. All that we are and all that we have will be for the Lord and not the world. 1 John 2, 17, And the world passeth away, and the last thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Oh, my friends, my dear ones, my beloved brethren, this world is going to burn one of these days. Say it like C.T. Studd said, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The giant of worldliness It's not just about the actions. It's about the attitude. Perhaps tonight we need to do some soul searching. 
before you um, go to sleep this evening, do a stock take. You're building treasures here, or treasures in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand me. Some of you have been blessed by the Lord. Some of you have been provided uh, with resources by the Lord. Uh, don't feel bad about that. Don't feel guilty that you're rich financially. Be a good steward of it. Use it for God's glory. Use it as a channel of blessing. And sadly, a lot of us just don't do it that way. We keep on holding it for ourselves. Remember, it's not the money that is the root of evil. It's the love of money. Oh, beloved, there's not a lot of time to be worldly. Now is the time to be godly. Father, thank you for this moment, and thank you that uh, we have some principles in your word. Uh, we as uh, your people, for the most part, and I look around this room, uh, these are your faithful ones. Um, from what I know and observe of them, Father, they are not really the ones that uh, is pictured as a rich fool in the Gospels. But oh, sometimes we can get lost. Uh, perhaps we can covet. Uh, we have an attitude that um, uh, we look after ourselves before others. We tend to withhold uh, rather than give uh, a portion back to the ministry. So when we do uh, have those uh, attitudes, when uh, our hearts tell us to uh, live on the edge and not to be too extreme, Father, we know that we don't have to be an ogre to be an effective Christian. Uh, we don't have to be Bible bashers to win the lost for Christ. Uh, all we have to do is to show them care and affection and love. But tell them the truth of God's word in the process as well. The world indeed is dying. There's plenty of men and women and children that are yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now who's going to tell? We are the ones that should tell them. So rather than us spending our time and our lifetime in accumulating, Father, would you speak to our hearts to change our mindset, to change our attitude, rather than accumulating things that will just dust and rust over time. But Father, that we would invest in treasures in heaven by winning souls for you serving you, placing you, being the very center of your will. Help us to slay and face this giant of worldliness in our lives. And at the end of the day, Father, help us to say it like your servant. There's only one life and what's done for Christ, that's the one that will last. Thank you for this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.